for the next hour. So how are we doing today? Awesome. I'm great. I'm always glad to be with educators. Um, and so I'm glad you would take, take some time with me today. Can we hear me okay? I, the spe- okay, great. I just wanted to make sure the speaker was a little, I didn't want to be bound to this thing. I wanted to move. So um, I've also noticed you as teachers, I see those of you who've decided to sit in the far back and those who sat in the front. So A's for my front sitters and the rest of you, will, we'll see what your grade is at the end of class today. Um, but you are here for Wayfinder and hearing about how do we serve confidently in a divided culture. I'm going to do a quick intro um, of who, who's here has actually heard of the Colossian Forum. Oh, good. Good chunk of us. Great. Um, well, I'll give you a little bit of the history, uh, share with you kind of what we've been doing in the Christian conflict transformation space. I want to, with the time that we have today, all I can really do is give you some vision, tell you some stories, and then give you some opportunities to find some next steps. So um, there's cards and pens around. Please keep whatever you'd like. The cards are a great way to find the next step if if you want to learn more. Um, But I think you're going to find today really helpful. So my first question before we dive into all of this, um, I'd love a few people just to share what has the conflict culture been like for you over the last three years? Uh, bad. Bad. If you're bad, anything else? Controversial. Controversial? Yeah. You're, hard, you're afraid to speak your mind. Yes. And it doesn't matter what you decide, right? Parents are threatening to leave no matter what. <laughs> doesn't matter what your COVID protocols are. doesn't matter uh, what your stance is politically. doesn't matter what you believe theologically, right? People are frustrated, uh, and they want you to fix it, right? Come on, teachers, get it together, right? The weight of the world is always on your shoulders. I know the last three years has been particularly hard. So I just want you to hear from someone who's been with a lot of educators like yourself the last year. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for caring for our kids. Um, Thank you for trying to hold the tensions of how do I navigate what I believe with what these parents want their kids to believe and how do I care deeply for them. So thank you for for doing that hard work. Um, But let me share with you a bit about Colossian Forum. So we are almost 12 years old. We'll be 12 in January. So we're kind of, you know, like middle school boys. We know we should probably shower, maybe don't, maybe wear too much Axe body spray, Um, but we're figuring it out organizationally, Um, the last two years have been particularly large leaps in growth for us. We got our start in this whole conflict space in talking about origins, Christian evolution versus young earth creation, which one is it? And so we had some scientists who were believers on different ends of the issue, we gather them together and literally just have the model, what does it look like to disagree faithfully? So one would say, hey, I think your view is damaging to the kingdom of God, and because you are a follower of Jesus, or I assume you are trying to follow Jesus faithfully, I cannot simply 240 character tweet you into condemnation. I have to do something different. I have to do something different. So granting organizations say, hey, that's fantastic, but... How do we equip the Big C Church? And when I say Big C Church, I don't just mean your local churches. How do we equip your Christian schools? How do we equip our nonprofits? How do we equip our Christian businesses? Like, what does it look like to equip those folks to do conflict well? So we said, great, let's develop some small group material. So we have four topical curricula right now. 
a lot of which has been adapted um, for different school contexts. Uh, it is women and men, political talk, human sexuality, and origins. Very non-controversial topics. <laughs> now, our goal is not to say you should believe this or you should believe that. And I promise you, I've had enough conservative folks approach me and go, do you really believe in truth? I have enough progressive folks approach me and be like, do you really believe in love? I assure you, we believe in both. Our goal, there's a lot of great curriculum, there's a lot of great speakers, there's a lot of great theology that goes, here's what we believe and defend and say why. There's very few people in the space saying, how do you engage in conflict? And so that's where we stick, and that often irritates everyone. So hope you feel we're equal opportunity offenders in that space. Our goal, again, is not to have you decide what you believe in these small groups. Our goal is to say, what if we could be formed by practicing conflict differently? What would it look like to actually see conflict as an opportunity for spiritual growth and witness? And I know that it's even as those words fall out of my mouth, I go, is it really, though? Right? Like, is conflict really an opportunity? Um, and we would say our, we're betting our entire organizational capital on the answer being yes. We do think that it is. And so we launched our small, our small groups uh, that walked people through essentially a conflict liturgy. When conflict arises, what are the steps, formational steps I do to move closer to you, to be true to myself and what I believe, um, and to unpack these really difficult things? And so we saw uh, uptake in that, and it was great. But then, as you know, there's this thing called the pandemic that happened. Everything shut down. People were not gathering. Um, and we were at a bit of an organizational turning point to go, what should we do? What do people need? Um, and so I uh, came on at this point. This was November 3rd of 2020. Pretty, uh, again, non-conflictual day for so many of us. Election day, right? Um, I, uh, I am originally from Michigan, um, but I had been spending the last four years in uh, church planning work in the heart of New York City. Um, and so I was, I've been centered around conflict kind of my whole professional career. My first job in ministry, I was the first, uh, I was the first Protestant under the age of 65, non-Catholic nun, chaplain in a nursing, in this nursing home. So I was way young, I was, I was the wrong religion, uh, and I was trying to engage with people as I was going through seminary and learning Hebrew and Greek and how you read the scriptures and what is truth and what does God want for our lives. Um, and going, what do I do with all of that as I'm ministering to these people in these end stages of life? What does that mean for them? How do I hold the tensions when I'm supposed to be caring for the religious faith that they hold when I have my own views and opinions on that particular topic and issue? And I'll tell you, in four years of seminary, I never felt equipped to do that. Went to New York City. We were connected with Redeemer City to City, which is Tim Keller's church planting wing of his church out there. Had Tim Keller and his team actually mentor and equip a lot of our leaders in our church, myself included. We had other church planting networks come alongside to try to fill in the gaps. We were connected with the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is our denomination that I'm technically half-ordained in. Only did two of the classes. Anyways, all that to be said, I do that name-dropping and tell you that, not to impress you, but to say not one of those amazing organizations taught me anything of what you're going to see today. Not one. And when 2020 hit, and when you're navigating 35-plus nations represented in your church, and conflicts rife all the time, it's no wonder that when 2020 hit, our church started to fall apart, church leadership didn't know how to work through conflict well, and I ended up walking away from my church from the heart of New York City and coming back home to Michigan. This left a giant conflict wound in me. 
And so when they handed me a market research job, they go, we don't know what we should be. What should we do? And so well, let's just ask people. So we called leaders like yourselves, and we said, what do you need right now? And they said two things. One, we need capacity. I'm always the one dealing with conflict. It's always me. Me, me, me. I feel like I have no support. I need increased capacity. And they said, too, I need a renewed vision. 2020 has kind of just exhausted any way for me to feel like conflict is an opportunity. I want to see it differently, but I just can't. Um, so he said, great, what if we could take all the core foundational pieces of our small group curriculum? Like, what got us there? Because we had some tools that we had that then helped us produce it. What if we could take all of those tools and equip leadership teams, equipping teachers, heads of school, administrators, principals, right, in this work so that they could come up with creative ways to contextualize this, right? Reimagining a PTA meeting. Reimagining a board meeting, reimagining how we structure class time, reimagining prayer time. If we could do these practices differently, how could that change the dynamic of our classrooms? How could that change how we ourselves are formed around conflict? And so that produced Wayfinder. And so Wayfinder is a two-day leadership training and development program designed for Christian leadership teams to think, act, and lead like Jesus in the midst of division. Essentially, you walk away from that training with a one- to two-year plan of how to bake in Christian conflict transformation practices into your already established institutional rhythms to do this differently, to see organizational change, to see your students respond differently, to see parents to get away from their keyboards and write you the nastiest emails I've ever read in my career. All right? This is what we're trying to do. And so this is where Wayfinder came from. So today you're going to get the vision of the why of Wayfinder. Um, but I thought that context would be helpful. Uh, so here's our agenda. And there's a whole bunch of different things on the slide. You're going to see all this in more uh, specificity. But I just wanted to, you know, indulge your eyes with lots of color to start off. Uh, so really just, we're going to use some vision. I'm going to talk about Christian conflict transformation. I've already used that word way too much without really defining it for you. We're going to talk about one of the biggest challenges we face when it comes to making decisions as Christian organizations, is it more loving? Is it more truthful? Which one is it? And why is there such a false bifurcation in that space? Also going to talk about our North Star. I want you, if you if, even if I never see you again today, to have a framework to start practicing this differently. That's what I want. And so that's what the North Star and Test for Success is going to be. And then I'm just going to very briefly speak to the five practices of Christian conflict transformation. And then I literally have 15 minutes set aside for you to just ask questions. Um, so that's where we're going today. How are we doing? You feeling good? Good. Well, here's this for you then. <laughs> Any of these issues challenging in your school right now, or your students, your parents, your administrators? Whew, I don't want to beat up on these too much. You know what they are. You've read the emails. You've had the conversations. I more just want you to, to know you are not alone. We've only been doing Wayfinder since April. I would love to tell you I think I'm really good at my job, but I think instead I've literally just been handed folks that, that have been just desiring this work. They've been thirsty for it for a long time. And as soon as I tell them, hey, do you want to get trained? They're like, yes, yes, get trained right now, yes. And their schools have actually, we thought when we started this in April, we'd be training churches like crazy. Kudos to you as the schools. I've watched the churches be slow to respond to these conflict issues, and all of that weight has fallen onto the schools, and probably the majority of it has fallen on you as teachers. And that's awful. 
but we've gone, let's go to where we're hearing the most need. So we've trained 330-plus people from 80-plus organizations since April. Um, we've been very busy, uh, and the majority of them, probably 90% of those have been schools, have been school teams, um, because this work is so, so needed. So you're not alone. Every time I show this slide, they're like, yup. I've been in Canada, I've been all over the country. Every single school goes, yep, this is a challenge. So just know that you're not alone. You're not alone in that. So this is what I think of when I think of conflict. I don't know if you know this meme. Uh, I'm in Enneagram 9. If you don't know Enneagram, it's a uh, personality test based more on what are your motivations rather than your character traits. And so a 9 is a peace maker in, in health. When I'm healthy, I'm bringing people together. I can hear different perspectives. But I'm a peacekeeper in unhealth. I know and am so attuned and sensitive to what other people are feeling in the room that it literally feels like it's on fire. And all I can do sometimes is just grab my cup of coffee and go, this is fine. This is fine. And it's all burning down, but this is fine. Because I don't, I don't know what else to do. Any images of conflict that come into your mind when you think of some of these challenging topics? Any images? Is it people's faces yelling at each other? Is it your email inbox with the, the number, red numbers going up, 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 and going, I don't know that I want to read half of those? Shout some out. What are, what are some images of conflict? What, what starts to stir your soul? Heated Facebook posts. Heated Facebook posts. Oh, yes. Parents meeting you after getting off the bus at a field trip mm. and chewing you out at the entrance of the bus. Yes, the uh, post-gathering sabotage, I like to call those, right? At this great event, oh hey, can I talk to you real quick for a second, right? And then boom, lay down the hammer. Right, yeah, awful, awful, awful. Well, here's a different image. I think it's probably better. I hope the, the video, we've got to take a picture of this one, not the other one, but <laughs> uh, here's all this great, beautiful chalk, right? And you can look at this a number of different ways. Right, if you're a parent of small children, you're probably like, oh, that's going to be a lot to clean up, right? But if you're me, I don't have small children yet, uh, it is great. Like, that looks, that's gorgeous. Look at the differences. Look at the beauty and the diversity. And look, as we put it up against the contrast of the world, how bright and beautiful it is. And so we ask this question. So, again, we're risking our whole organizational life on what if, what if conflict become the key to renewed relevance, deeper discipleship, and fresh witness? What if the very thing that is destroying us, dividing us, polarizing us, keeping us up late at night, making us delete our Facebook several times, what if that thing right, could actually be the key to doing the deep discipleship work that we desperately need? And so Wayfinder, this way of being in the world and engaging conflict, we have a confession, a mission, a vision, and a method. And the confession is this. All things hold together in Christ. Colossians 1.17. All things hold together in Christ so that Kevin doesn't have to. All things hold together in Christ so that the teachers don't have to. All things hold together in Christ so that your principals and administrators don't have to. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't intentional sin in the world. It doesn't mean that God winks at evil and says this is fine. What it means is that God is active and alive and at work. And that we are, our posture is not to manufacture control around conflict. Our posture is to lean into God, what are you doing in this space? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach this person? What, am I, what do you want me to learn here? 
You are holding this together so I don't have to. It's the difference in a posture between having a powerboat and saying, I'm throwing in gas, I'm driving, and here's the location, to having a sailboat that says, I'm dependent on you, Lord, to provide the wind. Where are we going today? And so our mission is to see Christian communities that act Christian, especially in the face of conflict. I love working with schools and teachers, and let me tell you why. Don't tell my pastor friends this, although I already tell them and they know. You touch so many more people. Your kids have neighbors, have parents, who have friends. Like Your presence in the community and cultivating Christian culture in your space, you have way, way, way more power and influence than I see any churches right now have. And that matters. And that's significant. What would it look like if we did conflict well? Just imagine for a moment. I know it doesn't feel like that or look like it right now. But what if... The Christians of the world were doing conflict so faithfully that those that don't even know or think about this Jesus who died and raised from the dead and where all these weird Christians believe feel loved, cared for, and seen and know that that's where conflict is being done faithfully. I want to send my kid there. What would that look like? How would that change? If just 10% of the schools in the U.S. did that, Christian schools, what would our world look like? And so our vision is to equip Christian leaders to serve confidently in a divided culture, and our method is, is Wayfinder. How do we do that? We need to practice differently. We would say we have a formation problem. Um, you guys love the word pedagogy, right? So I just learned that this last year, so I like to throw it out because I feel smarter than I am, right? But like our pedagogy, our theory of change is that we have a formation problem. It doesn't matter what 24-hour cable news station you listen to or watch is. It is forming us in a way that's contrary to that scripture. And so we go, we need a new way of being formed. And what is that way of being formed? So typically I'll say then people go, Kevin, 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 I do conflict management. I do conflict resolution. I know these things. And I would say, this is not that. I did a two-day Wayfinder training, and I had a principal raise his hand. He said, Kevin, I've been trained. I've been trained to deal with parents. I said, tell me more. He said, I have been trained in FBI terrorist negotiation tactics. And he wasn't kidding. And I was like, are you serious? And I said, well, this is going to be very different. Um, and what he said, he goes, as I hear what you're talking about, it is the opposite. Everything the world teaches you to be expert negotiators to get your way is the opposite of what you're teaching. And I was like, interesting that Jesus would be countercultural in that space. So conflict management, right, the belief is that things will fall apart if I don't hold them together. If I'm honest, as a pastor in New York City, that's how I operated. i got to hold this together. I don't know how to navigate this. What do we do? It's Pride Month. How do we make decisions around this? Oh my goodness, it's Black History Month. I want to honor this well, but we have people in our church that are kind of racist, and I'm not really sure what to do. Like, I, it's me, me, me. Hold it together, right? Oh, Christ is holding things together. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing in this moment, Father? How can I lean into your spirit? That's what I want to be. Posture, right? Conflict management, it's a threat. It's a threat. How many of you have been brought into budget meetings that have been going on for nine months and they go, well, here's the budget. Any feedback? Does your suggestions feel welcomed at that point? Does anyone want to redo the last nine months of work? No, right? Conflict is a threat. That's the posture. Christian conflict transformation says that conflict should be normal and expected. We actually believe what 1 Corinthians 12 says, that every single one of us is a different part of the body, so it's no wonder that the knee sees something different than the eye does. It should be expected that when we go to make a budget that has so many communal implications, that probably every single one of us would see it a little bit differently. 
Now, it's not to say that we just go, okay, it's all different, but it is to say it's not a threat, right? It's a different posture. It's a different posture. The goal of conflict management is to end the conflict. And if we're honest, right, the natural gravity in all of us, we want the conflict to be over. It's painful. Who wants to be in conflict? And in Christian conflict transformation, we, the goal is to follow Jesus. Now, every time I say that, my brain goes, that sounds trite. But what I mean by that, the vernacular that we use is, what is the next faithful step? What's the next faithful step? We're having a hard conversation with a parent who's demanding that you remove that book from your library that they took a picture of and post it up on Facebook. Oh my goodness, the stories you guys go through. This is a real story, right? All right, what is the next faithful step? Is it to totally resolve the conflict? Is it to bring in another voice? Is it to just pause for a minute? Is it maybe to say, the heat is too high and I can't hear you? Can we meet next week? Like, what is the next faithful step? That's the goal. And we will end up resolving, try to resolve some of that conflict, but that is not the ultimate goal. The goal is to follow Jesus. The focus of conflict management is typically the substance of the conflict. Fact, science figures, right? All of that's really important. But we would say the process of how we do conflict and the substance are of equal importance, right? We can have a right idea, go about it the wrong way, and be wrong. And I just want to confess that, right? I don't know how many... I'm a big church pastor follower. can't tell you how many churches I've watched blow up of Christian leaders that I've loved, that I've watched their churches explode because they were, had to get on the bus or get off the bus mentality, right? How, how we do conflicts is as important as the substance of the conflict. And just getting there, the means do not justify the end. So the process and the substance are of equal importance. The mode of conflict management is defensive communication. Right? If we're going to have a conversation about what our human sexuality policy is going to be at our school, right? I know that I have to defend my argument. I have to expose the weakness of your argument. I must. I got to be the smartest and the brightest and the best debater because there are winners and losers. And God darn it, I'm not going to be a loser, right? I'm going to defend. But in Christian conflict transformation, if we're seeing conflict is not a threat, if I'm welcoming your perspective and trying to better understand it, I want to engage in covenantal communication. So when I say covenantal communication, the outpouring of that is to see conflict as an opportunity for spiritual growth and witness. To when I start to feel the heat rising, I go, oh, Jesus is doing something differently here. And to say, because the image of God resides in you, I have to do something different than try to fight you. I have to do something different. Um, So, and it means that we can belong even if we don't believe the same. And I'll talk more about that in a second. We want to engage in covenantal communication. So everyone asks, whenever I talk about this, Kevin, 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 where do we see this in Scripture? And I go, great, let me show you. Um, I love this story of Jesus in the Bible. It is the woman caught in adultery. I much prefer the men caught in hypocrisy, but that's just me. And so, right, they bring out this woman before Jesus, and they say, you know, Jesus, you know what Scripture says. Moses says to stone her, we caught her in the act. What do you say? What do you say? Now think about this for a moment yourself as a leader. How many times have you been in this spot? Is it mercy or is it truth? Can't have both, right? Are you going to be loving and disregard all of Scripture? Are you going to uphold Scripture and be hateful, right? All of these false bifurcations. Which one is it? Which one is it? 
And I love how Jesus so masterfully interacts in this space. Because in a moment of pure violence that's about to take place, he makes moves that I would say calls not just the woman that we often preach about and we should, but the Pharisees into deeper discipleship with him. Deeper discipleship with him. So let's start with the woman first, right? She's caught in the act. What do you do? Right, he starts drawing in the sand. I often wonder if he's writing out other sins in this moment. Right, he's just drunk, lust, you know, stealing, lying. Um, but you know, Jesus says, "Let the one without sin cast the first stone." It says the old men drop their stones; they walk away. But he kneels down on the woman. He scoops her up. Right, he doesn't wink at her sin. He doesn't say that adultery is good. Right, he goes, "I love you. Where, where are those that condemn you? Right, they're not here. I don't condemn you." Now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so he shows her in this moment that sometimes we need to be loved rightly before we can behave rightly. And he holds that space with her so well. But as I read through scripture, if I'm honest, I used to see myself as the woman in my own theological development and my own piety that I've seen come out. I find I'm more the Pharisees. Right, and I, and I love the way that Jesus interacts with them because I think he loves them and calls them to discipleship too. Notice what he does here. Pharisees throw Leviticus at him. Moses says to stone this woman. Notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't say, well, we should be more loving. Right? He goes, let me give you more truth. Here's more truth. Scripture also says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. So he doesn't, and honestly, I think the voice of that for him is, I think he has compassion on the Pharisees. I think he sees this fire to be able to use scripture in a way to do what they want to do. And he's going, hey, I love that you're passionate about scripture. Can I give you more truth? Can I show you what scripture also says? And notice what it does. It disarms them, literally disarms them. And they both go on their merry way. We never hear about any of these people ever again, right? But, and that's very aspirational. Right? But we believe that Jesus is making those moves because he's been formed differently. He's been formed biblically. He's been formed by his father. And so this is how he's been able to learn how to navigate in spaces like these. I'll give you another one. Um, right? The Pharisees come to Jesus and they go, Jesus! What's the greatest commandment? Now, we know the Pharisees are not being curious, right? They're trying to get them. All right, Jesus, which, what are you going to prioritize, teacher, right? Are we going to prioritize our students' education? Are we going to prioritize the Bible? Are we going to prioritize caring for people, right? Which thing are you going to choose? Because whatever you prioritize is going to tell me exactly what you deprioritize. And that's where I gotcha. And I love what Jesus does here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the first and greatest commandment, uh, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so notice, he follows up here. I don't have it on the screen. He follows up here and says, this actually fulfills all of the law. Every jot and tittle. He's going, this is, he goes, I know you want to know what's the most. Here it is. I'm going to tell you what actually encapsulates all of the law. So you don't have to remember all 600 plus Levitical laws. Just know these two. Just know these two. Um, And so notice his rejection of the false bifurcation. Notice his upholding, his just absolute passion for the word of God. And notice the way in which he calls people in rather than just calling people out. He calls people into himself. 
And so we would say this, right? You got a North Star and you got to test for success. This is the thing I want you to just go, great. I, if I never see Kevin again, I'm going to burn this into my retinas. Your North Star and your test for success. So when we say love of God and love of neighbor, here's what we mean. We say love of God. We don't just mean only the words of God. We also want the ways of God, right? Jesus being the, the, the full embodiment, right, of God in the flesh, moved in the world in a certain way. And we should say that way, with the words, should be really important to us. So I'm always thinking about what does Scripture say? What does Jesus do? How do these things align? This is what's sitting in my head as I'm about to move into a really difficult conflict conversation. How do we love our neighbor? Love our neighbor. And so when I say neighbor, I mean that person who's literally in opposition to you in front of you, that you're having that hard conversation with, they are your neighbor. They are made in the image of God. They have honor and dignity. And so we cannot say what Twitter says to people who don't agree with us, right? We have to behave differently. What does it look like to love our neighbor? And most of the time we're having conversations about groups of people, right? If you're making determinations about human sexuality, you're also talking about your LGBTQIA plus neighbors. So how do we how do we love them too? How do I love you as an opposition? How do I love this? And if we're having this conversation, right? So I'm, I'm asking you to hold really a lot in tension in your brain. And that's okay. And guess what? The first four or five months of this, people would ask me a question and I would just stare at them. <laughs> So I'm going, uh, love God, ways God, where's God, what do I believe in scripture? Okay, uh, neighbor, okay, you're, I don't feel like you're my neighbor right now, but I want you to be my neighbor. Who are the other people we're talking around? But the whole goal of this, right, is to slow us down. So we're so quick, we're quick, quick-witted, we're quick with the tweet, we're quick with the Facebook post that kind of slams the other side. What does it look like to slow down? So as you move in that difficult conversation with a parent, As you try to navigate something that you're trying to coach or teach a student in, love of God, love of neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor. And here's your test for success. Increased fruit of the Spirit, decreased works of the flesh. Who knows all the fruit of the Spirit? Who can name it off the top of their head? Let's hear it. Go for it. (laughs) Ha ha, you raised your hand. (laughs) Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control. Nice, nice. All right, so you nailed it. Well, I come from very conservative tradition, so it's like I have a song in my head every time one of these things come up. It takes me back to my Awana days, and some of that's good, and some of that's not good. So, um, but right, all that comes out of me. And so, the fruit of the spirit. Here's what's interesting about the fruit of the spirit. I don't need the fruit of the spirit with people who think like I do politically. I don't need the fruit of the Spirit with people who think like I do theologically. I don't need the fruit of the Spirit, honestly, with people who look like me and live where I live often. I don't need it. And I would, I would venture a guess that most organizations are trying to function outside of the fruit of the Spirit. If you read through all of New Testament Scripture, these churches are a mess. Why do we think our organization should be any different? Right? You need the fruit of the Spirit when you're engaged with someone who's on that other side of the political aisle and has said something that's so just absurd to you that you want to pull out your hair. That's where I need patience. That's where I need forbearance. That's where I need joy. And when I'm engaging in these conversations, especially the first time, whew, it just feels like the seeds of the fruit are dying. Right? That's what it feels like. 
And a lot of times, right, I'm going, did the fruits of the Spirit increase? Most of the time it goes, well, I actually felt like I was outside of my brainstem into my prefrontal cortex, and I could hear that question that person just asked. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. All right. I didn't want to yell expletives on my drive home after that Thanksgiving meal. That's fruit of the Spirit, right? How do those things grow? And decreased works of the flesh, right? A lot of our Christian institutions love to read up on these, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. But we forget about these ones. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. What do your PTA meetings look like? Man. And so as we iterate on this, this is an iterative process that forces us into contemplation that I think our culture needs so badly. To go, I'm, I'm loving God and loving neighbor. I had this conversation. Okay, did the fruits of the Spirit increase? Did the works of the flesh decrease? Yeah? Okay, all right. Ooh, actually, the, the works of the flesh increased. I don't even know that I was aware of fruit of the Spirit existed in that conversation. Great, I know what I can do better next time. And so you've got to start with five-pound weights before you move to those 50s, although we love to rush to the 50s, um, right? And this is something that will grow your Christian conflict transformation muscles as you do it over and over and over again. So remember, North Star, love of God, love God, love neighbor, test for success, fruit increasing, fruit of the Spirit increasing. Um, but I know all of you are in these challenging conversations, right, about truth and love. And which one is it? And what are we going to choose? And what I want to move us into, and I want to just give you an idea, and I think this uh, quadrant map that I'm drawing for, I think will just be helpful framework to think through it. We as humans are fallen and sinful. So we falsely divide, right, truth and love. We go, well, am I being more truthful in this conversation? Am I being loving? We kind of think of it as like two different categories and like, well, was I 100% truthful and like 80% loving or was it, you know, switched? And so we would say, Jesus, well, we would say, Scripture says Jesus is the full embodiment of both. He's never a little less of one or more than the other. He's the full embodiment and the perfection of both always. And so, uh, because I'm a pastor and I love alliteration, we'll call it conviction and compassion. Um, So thanks for going on that journey with me. Um, But what does it look like we have low compassion, low conviction? I would say most of us don't exist in these spaces. Um, But low conviction, low compassion, this is where apathy lives. I don't love the awful Facebook posts. I don't love them. But what I know when I see them, they care about something. Maybe it's the wrong thing. Maybe it's a bad thing, but they care, right? Apathy's not there. Despair, dishonesty, intentional evil. Theologically, we would say, or so theologically, some of us say, and I would disagree with it, the opposite of God's love is God's judgment. That's not true. The opposite of God's love is apathy. God cares about things and judges rightly. We're trying to figure out what that is, right? But apathy is actually worse. We want God to call out what's sinful in the world and go, this is not the way it was designed. And I promise to heal you and make you whole from these things. We want that to be named. That's in deep in all of us. Um, and so apathy lives here. Low conviction, low compassion. If I'm honest, here's where I can tend to fall into in unhealth, is low conviction, high compassion. This is hangout culture. Uh, this is like, yeah, like, we think the same thing, kind of. Um, you know, you do you. This is where relativism can live. Um, this is where self-gratification, we say that because if I assume you think like me, I feel better. 
right? I don't want to deal with conflict. I'm just assuming you all think the same things here. This is where surface unity is um, and relativism. We don't want to live here. This is low conviction, high compassion. Uh, these are the churches I grew up in. Uh, high conviction, low compassion. This is call-out culture. This is legalism, pride, division, us versus them. Right? Um, I, I went to a, a school, went to a school conference a little bit ago. I won't tell you which one. Um, but I, I had some some folks come up to our booth and ask, like, tell us about that. What are you guys doing? Um, and I, I said, well, we're, we, we work in Christian conflict transformation. And their words, not mine, were, oh, we don't have that. We have strong leadership. It's clearly black and white. Everyone's on board. I said, oh, okay. Great. Well, you're the only person I've ever heard say that, and I don't know why you're at my booth. So, um, but right, this is, that's, that's that. And, and honestly, I've had more empathy for it as, I, as we move in this world, right? We want, we want it to be black and white. It's hard. It's disorienting. It's crazy out there right now. All we want is security. And so we want, like, please, make it black and white. And I think there are some things where, like, it, Scripture is clear. Jesus is calling us to this. Um, but but to, to then to say to camp out and say, here's what we think and are interpreting it as, and you're either on the bus or you're off the bus, is so painful. And I don't know that it's doing good work in our culture right now. But here's where we want to live. This is where Jesus just exists. High conviction, high compassion. This is where Christ's likeness is. This is where covenantal communication lives. This is where Christian conflict, transformation lives. And this is where deep unity lives. Deep unity. Right? Because if we have a conversation, and let's say we have a conversation on abortion, and you hear my viewpoint, and you go, oh, oh, you think that? Oh. Right? And we have a conversation. You hear me, you hear my story, and you hear why I've landed on that the way that I have, and you go, you know what? I disagree with you, but I see you. Like, I see where you've come from. I know why you believe. Okay. Well, yeah. Right? And we can have even deeper unity. Because you know, when you've been in those hard conversations with family members, with other teachers, and you've come out on the other side where you've actually dealt with the conflict, you feel stronger. Right? I know I can say something dumb, not have it all quite figured out. You can call me on it, and I can apologize. You can offer forgiveness. I can repent. And we can actually have a tighter relationship at this point. Right? Um, psychological safety, brave spaces to have those conversations. That's where deep unity is. And to have those and to move deeper, we actually believe if you're in that upper right quadrant and you're doing conflict well, that you will actually be on deeper mission with the people in your organization, even if they don't think like you. And I'll, I have some examples for that. All right. So, uh, just you know, I would, so I would, uh, what I love to do, my favorite thing to do is two to three hour workshops where I let you sit and practice every single one of these with your, um, with your teams at your schools. It's one of the best things I can do. It's like the most fun three hours I can spend. Um, I'm going to speak to these. These are the five core practices of Christian conflict transformation. I'm just going to give you kind of 30 seconds of each to speak to them. Um, you won't get all of them, but I think you'll understand the concepts, and hopefully that will be encouraging, you to, to, encouraging to you today. So if the first is this, is go toward is all about pursuing others with generosity. It is where we build relational trust. And this is where we teach about looking for bids for connection. How are we really connecting with those people? Who is the person in the teacher's lounge that if you really need coffee and there's there and there's free coffee, but it's just them, you go, I don't need coffee. Like, who is that person? 
And we'd say, how do we move closer to those people? And we're not saying you have to be best friends with everyone. What we are saying, though, right, if there's, it's for relational connection. If I've built relational trust with you, then when we move into conflict, I will trust you more in that space. You're going to see less defensiveness. But if the only time we have a conversation is in conflict, guess what? It's going to be a lot harder. So how do we go toward, especially after the hard conversation is happening, keeping those relational connections close? The second is this, is go Godward. This is where you affirm our unity in Christ. So we're saying literally in the heat of the moment to stop and go, I think we should pray. I need prayer. I can't hear you. I do this with my wife all the time. I'm sorry. We're having an argument. I want to hear you, and I'm not. I'm not hearing you. I'm, already, I'm formulating my defense. Can we, can we pause and pray? I need this. Right, that changes the game. It's a game changer. Um, and this is also a place where we go. We give you some samples of Scripture. Where can we go in Scripture to meditate together? Because I would say the majority, of, particularly of the New Testament, is not what to believe, but how we engage others. How? So I was just sitting in Mark 7, 15 yesterday, and I was like, oh, this would be perfect for a meditation section where it says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of the heart. If we just sit and read that when we're having a conflict conversation, do you know how hard it is for me to be a jerk to you, right? If I do, I have to totally reject this scripture we just read together. Right, so interrupting those spaces with those verses of unity, and again, this is where you could weaponize. Right, if you're having a human sexuality conversation, you're like, you know what? I think we need to go to scripture. Let's go to Romans one. Right, that's not a helpful. It's not a helpful conversation at that point. We're not really engaging the other. We're trying to say, hey, here's where I why I think I'm right. The next is get curious, and that whole practice. You guys, as teachers, whenever I do this, always know this really well. Um, You don't need the prompts. You know how to ask curious questions. But we talk about how do you cultivate a spiritual and physical posture of humility. Right? I can't tell you how many times I think I'm asking a curious question. And I can't tell you how many times the content, I'm like, that's legit. But then it comes out like, how could you believe something like that? Right? Like, not curious. Right? I'm sending a message, not trying to receive one. And so we go, how do we formulate that in the... um, The question I'm always asking myself, and I'm trying to be curious, is this. If I knew this person's story, I would understand their position. If I knew this person's story, I would understand their position. Notice I didn't say agree with their position. Notice I didn't say celebrate their position. I said I would understand it. right? And that's what we want to form with Get Curious. um, And and being able to understand and uncover where others are coming from. The, The... This fourth one, go deep, is probably the most important. Um, We talk about how your positions are like icebergs. What you see in the top is your position. So if you are a pro-masking school, if that was the decision you made during COVID, pro-masking, right? There's a passion line, which is typically anger. Why did we come up with this position? There's a passion line. And so we're angry. We're angry because we want our Christian, or we feel like our Christian witness is on, um, uh, is up for grabs. We feel like we got to care for people well, and those that are pro gathering are not caring for people well. I'm just saying what the position says. As we move down, that's the anger. We would say, well, what are you afraid of? What's what fear? There's a fear happening here. I'm not going to do my Star Wars reference Yoda with you here, but the right the fear produces the anger, produces the position. But right, we're afraid of losing people. We're afraid our Christian witness will be lost. We're afraid that we'll do damage. And we go, what is the deep love underneath all of that? And most people say it's the love of the community, love of the community. Um, And I'll talk about an organization that was able to navigate that if I have time 
here at the end, but I want to make sure I give you some time for questions. But Go Deep is all about how do we name the vulnerable love that's deep, deep, deep below the position and actually have productive conversations there. Because it's really difficult for the conversation to implode or explode if I'm going, hey, can I tell you this thing I really care about? Rather than saying, do you know this position? And I can't believe you don't believe in science. And da, 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 da. Right? If I'm going, here's this thing I care about. And I feel like it's under threat. It's a different conversation. And we would say more productive conversations happen there. And that's where we want to be able to go. How do we go deep in those difficult position conversations? And then the final one is get right. And get right is all about reconciliation. It's how do we deal more with the impact rather than our intent? This is good marriage advice to you guys to type, right? Good, better, how do we get clear about what was our impact rather than our intent? And how do we name clearly, own the peace that we need to own and where we failed? Ask for forgiveness, confess and repent, and have a pattern of confession that brings us closer together. I usually tell the story about... Um, the forums that we hosted and our scientists that were having debates with each other. And it wasn't long before the uh, young, uh, the Christian evolutionist was making fun of the young Earth's creationist education. Kind of came out in a quick sarcastic bar. And the Christian, uh, Christian young, young Earth creationist said, well, actually, I've had some of the best credentials. I've been to some of the best schools. I'm actually published in your camp's scholarly journal because they engage in my work. I, I know my stuff. And so they had to go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make fun of you. I, I, I just want to own that. Would you forgive me? Offered forgiveness on stage. And now no longer was that sitting in the back of their heads, right? Like, oh, when's the education question coming up? When are they going to think I'm stupid? Right? Now they've exposed that and they, they have more capacity to engage across those challenging conversations. And they know that when they mess up again, they have a way of working through that. They're no longer so afraid of the messing up. So those are the five. Um, uh, those are the five practices. I have a couple stories, but I know we've got about. Um, I got you to eleven forty-five, but I wanted to give you some time to just ask some questions. You've seen a lot. Your uh, your context is different, so yes, go for it. Yeah, does, does your organization like differentiate between it? Really, sometimes um, like Christian to the world, it's a lot easier to. Show grace and um, how do I say this? Like within a, within a church, Christian and Christian, it's like, wait a minute, like you you just left your family for another woman, like you, you can't have communion with this clean. Repent, go back to your family. Right. Like kind of like hard line stuff within a covenant community, where it's like it's a little bit easier to I don't for me to to engage with the world and, and be like, well, they, they, don't, they don't believe the same things I do. So it's like. Here's, here's more grace, or it's like within the Christian school, the Christian church, it's like, wait a minute, but I thought we all agreed on things. I know we have views on things, but in terms of like covenantal agreement, or wait, this, wait, this is going on in my small group, yet they're still leading my small group. Um, why hasn't the church stepped in and said, like, no, you need to change before you come back into this position? Does, does your organization differentiate between like Christian and Christian, or Christian institution and well, parents that? Maybe they're not going to church, but their kids are on their way to your schools. You know what I'm saying? So we would we don't differentiate in that. What we would say is we provide the framework, the structure to go, how do we even start having that conversation? Right? Because the first thing we're gonna bring in is like, well, if they're a Christian, they should maybe they should be. We can go to all the verses about right removing them from community. Um, and so it's good, let's start that conversation. What does it look like to bring in the voices that see it differently? 
What does it look like to get curious about where they're at? How do we go deep in those different positions? How do we kind of get a lay of the land of what's happening? And then how do we go, gosh, what's the next faithful step? Right, because I hear that story, and I can already see the people as a, as a nine in my head, right? A new grandma, nine. I can see the people going like, you know, our Christian witness is on, uh, is totally up in the air. No one's going to believe that we even believe if we keep this person here. And then I, and my heart would go, and I don't even know what's happening in that man that would make that decision to leave his wife. Does he have support? Like, let's get the family safe. How do we care? How can we care well for both? How do we make sure? Are there victims? And like, there's just so many questions, right? We would want to ask and go, what does it look like as a Christian community to hold those things in attention, to love well, be clear in what we do believe, and do the hard work of discernment before we make the quick decision? And so, really, what we're about is how do we slow down and offer you a framework to go with the Holy Spirit? Tell how do you make the most faithful decision? Probably won't look the same to everyone else, but how do you get enough voices in the room to make a better decision? How do you slow down to make a good one? Um, yeah, uh, so, and I would say we definitely more teach uh, in within a Christian community than Christian to secular, okay. but I think there, yeah. is cross, there is crossover. Right, so I find myself uh, on different paths if it's within the church as opposed to as a witness to the world somehow in terms of like approaching And then the, the tricky thing is the school. Yeah, the school's not the church. Right? Right. But, but then there's a but. <laughs> we have our values and beliefs. And, yeah. yeah. And it gets really challenging. It gets really, really challenging. Any other questions? Yes. Good. Sorry, I'm just going to add on that. But like, I think as a, as a Christian school teacher and a Christian school parent, like I'm kind of entrusting these teachers to teach my kids from the Word of God. So if a kid point blank asks me a question and I know what it says in the Word of God about a controversial topic, I, I, I believe it's my responsibility as a teacher to not sugarcoat the truth. Like, and I think I have a problem as a Christian that we live in a society of churches that wants to sugarcoat everything and it's more about love and not enough about truth. Like, there's not enough balance. Like, and, and that bothers me as a Christian because our churches have become watered down. Because we want to be super all-inclusive. And I, I know Christ was inclusive, but Christ also, like you said, was a balance of truth and love. And that's where my conflict is as a Christian. And as a Christian, I mean, just in general, Christian school teacher, Christian in a church, like, I'm disappointed by our churches. Our churches are disappointing. Because they're not willing to stand on hard truths about things that are clear in the Word of God. So as you say that, what's at stake in that for you? Or what's at stake for us? What do we lose if we get that wrong? If we get wrong? Well, I mean... If we get it wrong, we're going to lose people. We're going to lose people. Because no matter how we spin it, someone's going to have their feathers ruffled. One way or the other. You're going to lose Christians, or you're going to lose people to the faith, and they're not going to become Christians. I, I think the, however you spin it, someone's losing. Money. Well, and money. I mean, churches are, I mean, that's, that's the driving force of the churches. Like, we don't want to stand up on the pulpit. You know, like you would roll versus Wade at my church. Nothing was even said. God values life. So, like, and I'm sorry, I'm being super controversial right now, but, like, 
That bothered me as a, as a, as a yeah. someone who goes to church and believes the word of God. It bothered me that we couldn't celebrate that there was a victory for life. Yeah. And I, I grew up in a very, very legalistic home and church, so it's hard for me because I have to find more of the truth and love balance, but I'm also kind of ashamed of the churches. That's where I'm at. Well, and, and so, uh, and my question to what's at stake, what I was hearing you say, and so let me rephrase and see if I'm getting this right. And I'm, I'm practicing Christian conflict transformation with you right now, just to be clear. Uh, yeah. I'm going deep with you. So I'm hearing you say the position is, if we're not clear what Scripture says, we are going to do harm. And the sugarcoating can do harm. So I'm asking, if we are sugarcoating, what's the fallout? What's the implication of that? What do we lose? And you say, so I'm hearing lose people, because if we were true, we would then lose people. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. But I also feel like then we're, we're like sugarcoating the word of God. Like we're making it more friendly and relevant, but we're straying away from where the truth is. So that's bothersome. Like, it says in the Bible, in Revelation, don't add or take away from these words. Like, we're doing that as Christians because we're afraid to offend somebody. And that bothers me. Like, I grew up in the church. It just bothers me. So it's just, but I want to be a balance of truth and love. But I feel like we're too much love and the truth is like so far away now because we're in such a distorted world. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 what I'm hearing you say is there's, it feels like our Christian truth is on, um, is that we're at risk of losing that or yeah. at risk of caring about things that the Bible says and that the sugarcoating makes our, our witness less sharp uh, at a minimum, if not maybe threatens our Christian witness. Um, so let me, let me tell you, I want to sort of share a quick story, um, right, because we all, right, the, the idea of conflict transformation go is to bring up those things, like these, the scripture says this, how do you hold those things in tension, right? If we're talking about abortion, I would say, absolutely, Bible talks about life. How does the Bible talk about, um, you know, how do we even understand what abortion is? What, what is actually happening in our culture and our space in that? Um, what, is the, what does the Bible say about uh, women reproductive health and things that happen in there? Is there any ways where there might be challenges to say to someone dying from an atopic pregnancy that they could have not died from had they had access to medical care? How do we weight that in that, right? It's not, it's not just so black and white. And so I, I would go, how do, we, how do we hold what Scripture says about caring for the widows and the orphans? How do we hold those things in tension with also Scripture saying we care about life? Um, so let me, let me share a quick story outside of the abortion topic. Um, in the masking game that I think will be uh, helpful. So we, we talked to an organization about um, they had the, they were not gathering as a church. They were uh, pro pro mask, and they came to me and they said, Kevin, we're about to release this eight page memo. They had all the scripture to back it up. Here's why we're not wearing. Here's why we're wearing masks. Here's why we're not gathering. Chapter verse. Chapter verse. Chapter verse. Chapter verse. And I was like, that's great. Uh, and they got to the end and they said, hey. And if you don't believe this, we think your Christian witness is on uh, is, is risk. We think that you don't believe in truth. We're not really sure you're following Jesus at all. 
I said, hmm, okay. Have you talked to the people that are pro-gathering? And they said, well, I've read their Facebook. I said, hmm. <laughs> what if we had a conversation with those folks? What if you could go deep, right? What's the position? What's the passion line? Is it anger? Let's, let's dig deeper into that. What are we afraid of? What's, what's the deep love underneath? So this church had already made their policy, right? They're not changing any of their mind. They are wearing masks. They are not gathering. But I set them on a, a, a trip. I set them to do Zoom meetings with folks to go deep with those who uh, were all about, about gathering and were not looking to wear masks. Um, and I said, I want you to go deep with them. Come back and tell me what you learned. So they came back and they said, hey, we realized they were pretty angry. So why are they angry? They're like, well, people like us have called them stupid, that they don't believe in science, that, you know, you know uh, they're watching all the conservative news. Like, that's what they hear about us. They just think we're conspiracy theorists. And that makes me angry. So I have this position. I said, interesting. I go, what were they, what were they afraid of? I go, they're all about not gathering. They believe in, they believe in science. They, uh, what they were concerned about, we have our immunocompromised and our retiring folks, if all these older folks in their, in their church, they're not getting visited. The science literally says they're dying of loneliness. And we may survive a pandemic and cripple people for life. The suicide rates are going up. Um, we're seeing the mental health pandemic increase. And no one's doing anything about it. We're really concerned. So again, right? Chapter verse, they brought all of their truth. Their policies are set. But they're going, but I'm hearing they care about all these things. And we were so hyper-focused on making sure we did this thing right, we were not able to see all of these other things that were surfacing that we also need to deal with. So they, they, I said, so great, what, what did they care about? Like, well, they really loved their community. And I was like, huh, weird. They really loved their community, right? That deep treasured love of community was on both sides of pro-gathering, pro-masking. Interesting. So I said, how could you move forward together? So this is where they started getting creative. They said, hey, we are so trying to like make sure things are clean and make sure that we have masks for people when we do gather. If you could take on looking into how can we get some free mental health services? Uh, how can we do that via Zoom? Um, is there any other places we can gather and not wear masks um, outside that would make you comfortable that we could do more of this? I know you're missing people in isolation is hard. How can we do that creatively? Can you go do that? Yeah, yeah. And then... When the vaccines came out, and a lot of them, not all, but some of the pro-gathering folks did not want to be vaccinated, the pro-maskers did. So now they had people to bring in to visit in the nursing homes to do the visits they've been wanting to have. So now they're utilizing their different skill sets and abilities, while they're still having a lot of challenge around what is our beliefs around, what this means for us as Christians, and still engaging that, but they cared and loved for their community at the same time. And the reality is it's messy. It's still messy at this church. But they've been holding to their own Christian commitments and saying, I know, I know we can have unity without uniformity. I want to keep having this conversation. And we can, how can we care for these people at the same time? How can we love our community well? Because we both have views on this that I think matter. Um, and again, it's very aspirational. It's not to say that that's how all of those stories work. But this is the slowing down. Because there is a lot at stake. Truth is really important. It matters. We say, bring that. Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's not assume the other side doesn't believe in not truth or has some other agenda. Like, what do they actually believe? How do they defend this it's from Scripture? What is their story like? Um, and that's where you can start having these creative conversations to move forward and actually go, oh gosh, the conflict exposed how much we really needed each other uh, and how we can stay in this even though we don't agree. So, that's not the perfect answer to everything, but I just wanted to 
share that with you. All right, it is 1145. I want to honor your time. Thank you for being here with me. Please take a card. If you go to wayfindertraining.org, it's a way to, uh, you can connect with us, you know, shoot me an email. Um, and please, 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 if there's anything I can help with, let me know. I'll be here. I do another one at 1 o'clock. Thank you all so much. Thank you.